Makers of Sport Podcast, Episode 12 with 8x8 Magazine. Welcome to episode 12 of the Makers of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, at T. Adam Martin on Twitter. Today on the show, I'm happy to welcome some of the crew from 8x8 Magazine, the self-described magazine, The Beautiful Game Deserves, which was founded in 2013. 8x8 is a well-designed and art-directed magazine created in New York City. The magazine focuses on long-form content about the beautiful game, accompanied by some of the best illustration in the world. Founders Robert Priest and Grace Lee are joining us today. Robert and Grace also run their own design company, Priest Grace, an award-winning studio that has worked with the likes of O Magazine, which is the magazine of Oprah, Newsweek, Adobe, WebMD, Bloomberg, and more. Also joining us is 8x8 Marketing Director Cooper Lemon, Cooper has worked in the world of soccer or proper football um, on all levels, including being a part of the Portland Timbers uh, inaugural season. And if, if you guys remember, the Portland Timbers identity was actually designed by Rare Design, and we interviewed Rodney Richardson on episode nine. Cooper also was later in product marketing at Adidas Soccer. Welcome to the show, everybody. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Adam. Yeah, I appreciate you guys coming on. I, I do want to just sort of uh, give a disclaimer to our listeners that this is the first time we've had multiple guests at once on the show. So if, there, if there's some talking over each other, please forgive us. Um, so I gave a brief introduction to, uh, to each of you, but if you could go a little bit more in depth uh, on your careers. Robert, starting with you, then Grace, then Cooper, uh, why don't each of you tell us quickly about yourselves and your eventual paths to founding 8x8 Magazine? Oh, I hope you've got a long time. I'll be <laughs> brief. Um, well, I started my career in England. I'm English and um, worked on several major magazines there before coming to Toronto to work on a magazine there and to New York um, a long time ago, uh, working for Esquire and Newsweek and GQ and House and Garden and a number of other major publications as creative director. Uh, then in, I think, maybe six or seven years ago, um, I was asked to be the art director of Condé Nast Portfolio, which is a, a business magazine that Condé Nast, a fairly large publishing company here in New York, were creating. And Grace and I got together and, and created that magazine. And when it folded, um, because of the, uh, you know, the, 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 depression in the 2005, uh, we decided to start our own company called Priest and Grace and working for a number of different clients. Uh, but from the day one, we thought we wanted to start something that would be a, um, a, our own product, something that we would completely control and, and, and you know, produce on our own. And Eventually, after a couple of stumbles on the way, um, we created 8x8, the magazine, the soccer magazine. So that's a, a really short version of my career. 
Grace, why don't you jump in? <laughs> well, I grew up in uh, Rockford, Illinois, and came to New York to go to school at uh, Cooper Union. My first job out of college was at Seventeen Magazine, and I fell into publications ever since. I met Robert on the way, and did Condé Nast portfolio, started our company, and here we are, eight by eight. <laughs> Great, Cooper. Yeah, so um, I sort of got involved, as you said, in the world of soccer and, and sport marketing um, directly out of college. I was fortunate enough to intern for Commissioner Don Garber at Major League Soccer. Um, and then, again, as you mentioned, went uh, out to Portland during their inaugural season and uh, was working with their sponsorship group. Um, had a brief stay over at Adidas working on some product marketing as it related to uh, selling licensed MLS merchandise. Um, and really throughout those experiences for, for someone um, just out of school, I mean, those, those were great experiences and, and got me extremely passionate, one, about the sport, um, but also about trying to grow the sport in this country and just seeing the people, especially, you know, it's very clear in Portland, people are hungry for this sport. Um, and, and I was very fortunate to be introduced to Robert and Grace through a family friend. And as soon as I saw what they were working on, um, the idea they had for this publication and beyond, uh, it was just, I immediately knew that it was something I wanted to be a part of and, and something that we could grow into a, a very successful business. Very cool. So, uh, Cooper, your path is sort of obvious as to why soccer, but, but Grace and Robert, why soccer? Are you, are you really passionate fans? Do you continue to play soccer? Uh, yes, I, I grew up in, as I said, grew up in London, and uh, my family were uh, supporters of Arsenal and Queen's Park Rangers. And, uh, you know, that was a sort of torturous early life, and, and I, I moved out, out of that support system into liking Chelsea and then on to Manchester United later on. Um, played rugby in school, but played soccer on the side and played soccer in college. And, uh, you know, I've always loved the game. Just uh, I'm completely engrossed in the theater of it all. And uh, I, I just I just can't get enough of it. And, and you know, it just seemed like it was a, a very good idea to combine that passion with, you know, our design skills uh, and, and create this magazine. Grace, how about you? Um, yeah. <laughs> we're still trying to. I'll answer that. We're still trying to find a team for Grace to get behind. We're, we're, the, the closest she's got is Liverpool. Uh, you know the current incarnation. Um, but I, I, you know, Nell Suarez has left. I'm not sure that that's still you know a viable concern. But uh, yeah, uh, uh, we're working on her. We're taking applications <laughs> for. Uh, yeah, we're, 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 yeah, we are. <laughs> West oh, okay. Ham because that's been rejected. There's a there's a number of teams that just haven't flown. Yeah, well, maybe maybe we can find her a good uh, U.S. team now that the MLS is getting ready to have their 20 year anniversary. Yeah, <laughs> we'll yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so the 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 name is is kind of an interesting concept. Can you tell us a little bit more about the thinking behind it? Uh, there, I have to say that there wasn't a great deal of thinking behind it. We, we came up with a whole bunch of names, and then Grace, who, as we've just demonstrated, knows the least about football of all of us, and came up with the idea, based on the idea that the, um, the, the goalpost is eight feet by eight yards. And, you know, it did appeal to us, the idea of the drama of the game being, you know, centered around that rectangle. And... Uh, and as designers, you know, the two eights, well, we just couldn't resist it. Right, right. 
So you guys had a uh, a little bit of involvement with Howler Magazine. What what led to your decision to break off and start uh, a magazine that was more focused heavily on illustration, such as Eight by Eight? Well, I'm doing all the talking here, but the the, the, the we we had created along with two other folks the 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 Howler Magazine, and and there was a definite um, illustration bias to what we wanted to do. Um, we just, we just, for some reason or another, just um, couldn't get along um, as well as we wanted to with everybody, and so decided to create our own magazine and just take the concept that we had always already thought of and develop it for our own um, benefit. And uh, you know, I, I think the the magazines can coexist fine. Uh, you know, Howler tends to be concentrating a lot more on U.S. football, but I feel like now. We are beginning to, uh, what should we say, just do our fair share of covering U.S. football, and uh, it, it, it's, I, you know, for us, it's like a, a, a labor of love. So we, we, we're, uh, you know, we're, we're moving on in a different direction from Howler. And, and I'll just jump in quickly. I mean, I think specifically with Howler, it is very much um, U.S. focused, or more so than, than we are. Um, and I think what's important that for a lot of fans, you have a lot of fans in this country that might have support an MLS team, support a team in La Liga, support a team in the Premier League. And what I like a lot about what we're doing at 8x8 is we're trying to introduce U.S. football, U.S. soccer, and put it on that same level where it might not be there on the field, the on-field on product, um, but there is so much happening in this country around sport, and we want to present that to readers, to our readers in Europe, uh, in Asia, in other parts of the world. We want to share, um, you know, U.S. soccer and the stories happening within the sport in this country, and put it on the same level as the rest of the world. Very cool. I, I do want to do a bit of a deeper dive on that here shortly, Cooper. Uh, but I do, I do want to ask um, Robert and Grace. Uh, so, uh, Robert, you mentioned that you guys wanted to start your own product. Um, or have your own have your own projects that didn't have much to do with clients. We see this a lot uh, in today's sort of internet age. A lot of um, creatives are are tending to lean towards that. Was that something that was always sort of on your mind, on each of your minds throughout your entire careers? Uh, and do you ever think that you may possibly cease client work? That's a really good point. Um, yeah, I, I don't really think so. I think that when I was working in magazines, I was perfectly happy doing so and developing, you know, a style and developing relationships within the business. But once Grace and I got together, it was Grace who was really um, aggressive about saying, you know, let's also not only let's not only work for clients, let's work for ourselves. And I, I feel like, as you say, that it, it is something that people are beginning to do, and. Uh, you know, so far, so good for us. Yeah, well, for me, it's always been the primary. I didn't want to work for somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've been asked, I was asked actually on Twitter when I announced this interview, what is the typeface that you use for your headlines on the cover, the one with sort of like the cutoff ends? Oh, it's called Replica. Okay, cool, cool. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll look that up and put a link in the show, show notes for our, our listeners. It seems um, like a lot of people have asked us via email and and social media in a weird way. Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's really terrific. Yeah, yeah. What's well, uh, if you're if you're getting that much feedback from it? It sounds like that you know that sort of just uh, reaffirms your choice in using it. Yeah, absolutely. 
So um, you guys were, you two were vital in bringing Newsweek back to print. However, in the past 10 years, uh, you know, Robert, you mentioned in 2005, like some of the, some magazines folding, we've seen sort of this traditional form of, of the magazine disappearing, even magazines that, that have great design and great content. So uh, in the light of this, why do you think that this is? And other than your, your obvious backgrounds in editorial design, why the decision to focus so heavily on print for eight by eight? We, we felt it would be a high-touch uh, magazine. In other words, you know, when you, when you actually touch it, you, you cannot fail to like it because it is this big, glassy thing, um, you know, full of, um, you know, as you said, long-term journalism, um, short takes, you know, and, and, and a sort of extreme visual sense. One, one of the other things that I hadn't mentioned before was that this was an opportunity for us as designers to have no limits on what we wanted to do. I mean, we are the editor and designers and, um, you know, there was nothing, there was nobody's opinion that we were seeking other than our own. And we were able to, you know, in a way, somewhat irresponsibly, but on purpose, um, do whatever we want to do on, on every single page. And, and, and that's a, a privilege, really. You don't often get that chance. And, you know, it's turned us into, you know, uh, uh, you know, sort of slightly crazy designers on one hand, um, but it's nicely balanced by the sort of regimented um, control that we need to do when we're designing Newsweek. And so it's a, a very nice balance of, you know, craziness on one hand and then, you know, the, the sort of sense of um, being careful about how people perceive the design. Have you found that uh, since you have this freedom, because if we think about design, you know, uh, traditionally design is, you know, a, it's about business, right? Like design and business sort of go hand in hand and solving problems. Uh, and typically there are sets of, of rules or parameters that are maybe designated by clients or, or by magazines. And obviously the obvious rules for your magazine would be the physical parameters of print. Um, have you found it to be more challenging, uh, this project more challenging than maybe taking on like traditional client work because of that? Uh, it's stimulating and exciting and, 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 and wonderful rather than um, anything that's negative. It's, um, you know, we abandon the idea. Most magazines have a, a, a front of the book and a well and a, a back of the book, and we just abandon that completely and design each story as we want it to be designed and then kind of juggle it around on a big wall in our office to see what the best pacing is. And I also thought that pacing is the sort of the, the most important things in magazines, not the, where the sections fall. And so this this is paced the, right up until the last minute, changing you know fairly dramatically all the time over the period as as we design it. We're we're sort of about a quarter way through from issue four right now, and you can just see as the pages go up on the wall, the sort of is a really dynamic stuff and the slightly quieter stuff, and and you just we're already getting a sense of how, how powerful it's going to be. And, you know, that every page, of course, for us is extremely important. And it's not so that there's just an energy to it where you, where you, you just throw everything you've got at a page. <laughs> and because of that, it is extremely hard. Yeah, it's very hard. <laughs> yeah. So what has the transition been like from, um, you know, now you're running an actual magazine as opposed to, um, you know, doing the design and, and 
uh, only maybe the creative direction of one. Has that been a, a tough transition? Or And how much execution are you guys getting to do? I see, I have an issue in front of me and I see that you have a... Uh, a designer that works for you. So are you guys getting sitting down and executing a lot of it, or are you doing sort of more managing pro, uh, project management type stuff? No, we we you know we do have a designer, Christy Bailey, who's worked on a, a couple of stories with us. But we we do literally everything um, from from designing every detail of the book to assigning all the words, assigning the illustrations, assigning the photography when we need it, picking up the photography. Grace is just um, a fabulously fast designer who really, really takes the driving seat with this. And um, you know, and and on the business side, she's she's um, we, it's been a massive learning curve, as you can imagine. Um, but I think we've 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 caught up with the sort of what what needs to be done. It's a question of doing it, frankly. Cooper, you guys do a great job uh, staying ingrained in the culture of soccer and reflecting it through your Twitter, Instagram, and other social media accounts. How important is this engagement for a magazine that is produced four times a year uh, in a time when people are used to having their content now, 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 and quickly? Yeah, well, thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. (laughs) Social media takes uh, a lot of time and energy, and I do think it's really important. It's, you know, it's free advertising, but it's, you know, you put a lot of Sort of sweat equity into it. It takes a lot of time, um, but it allow it allows us to reach people all across the world. I mean, when we get hits to our website from you know countries that I didn't even know existed, <laughs> we're, we're doing something right. We're reaching people out there, and like you said, being quarterly and people want content now. I mean, we're starting to produce more supplemental content on our blog. Um, we have a number of really great young writers. Um, just putting out some great pieces. So I, I encourage everyone to check out uh, the blog. It's called The Pitch. Um, it's on our website, 8bayatmag.com. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's extremely important to keep people engaged and to stay, you know, sort of stay in touch with what's happening in the football world, soccer world. I mean, we're not, we're not the magazine that's going to break the transfer news because we are quarterly. So, you know, there, there is a certain need for us to stay in touch with what's happening currently and also to bring in, like you said, some of those cultural elements. There's some great um, companies out there, whether they're tech companies or apparel companies or, or just cool creative people out there in the, in the soccer world doing some great stuff. And so it's, it's awesome to be able to connect with those people and then to share some of the great stuff that we're finding with people through social media, Twitter and Instagram and all that. Which, which makes sense, the long-form content. You're kind of doing deeper dives on stories as opposed to breaking news and things like that. Exactly. There's, there's plenty of people that can do that. And, and we're sort of, I think we're content with where we are at the moment. Uh, I, I don't think you'll, you'll see us really breaking transfer news anytime soon. <laughs> are you guys finding that people are sort of craving this? Um, you know, we see a lot of these uh, blogs, you know, these sports blogs that are sort of, you know, all about link bait, you know, like the dead spins of the world and just like posting all these crazy things that are, you know, just, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I I can't even describe it, but it it, like, are you finding that people are craving sort of this higher level of knowledge and stories and this sort of more cerebral approach to like sports? I think so. Certainly. Um, People sort of want that more educated you know, deep dive analysis of what's going on to kind of separate from all of the clickbait, as you said. Um, 
I want to be careful I say this, don't want to offend other sports fans, but I think there, there's a large segment of football fans that really are, are cultured and, and want more than the Deadspin article that's, you know, linking to some controversial whatever it might be. Um, so, yeah, I definitely think people, people are after that, and you're starting to see a lot of it now in, in soccer. I mean, there's a lot more long-form content out there, um, carefully produced uh, journalism, which I think is great. We're happy to be a part of it as well. Do you guys, you already are doing, uh, you have like your digital edition and you're obviously posting, you know, blogs and Tumblr and social media and things like that. Are, are there any plans to maybe expand into other mediums such as uh, podcasting? Uh, well, we, we've done, we did an initial podcast, which was uh, kind of was a link off a piece from our last World Cup issue that focused on, on fan culture, specifically here in New York City. Um, and so, you know, we've toyed with it. I think the focus for us is really to create a great magazine at the moment. Um, we'd love to, to explore other mediums and platforms, and, and we will continue to explore podcasts. Um, and possibly we've done some video work as well. We did a great project with Vice during the World Cup um, and also more of an internal project uh, with Adam Levite and a creative, his creative company, uh, Ghost Robot. That was during the World Cup. So we definitely we want to collaborate with other people, and that, that's something that we love to do. So we'll look to continue to do that. Um, and also, I think, continue to, to explore the podcast realm. Uh, I think we like the idea of sort of building shows, podcasts around um, certain pieces in our magazine, um, but also just continuing to, to explore that and see what else we can do around that. Very cool. I'm a, I'm a huge podcast nerd, if you can't tell. <laughs> no, <you> know. <laughs> so we're fresh off the World Cup, and you guys had, have just produced your third issue. Was there any strategy involved in, in uh, you know, launching so close to the World Cup? And how did the World Cup, uh, what did the World Cup do for the magazine in regards of publicity and growth? Well, I mean, you know, that's every, every four years you have the most amount of eyeballs on the sport. And so it was obviously, it was a huge opportunity for us being so new uh, and being able to put out, you know, this kind of product. And so, I mean, it, it, it was a big moment for us. I think a few, as I, as I hint, or, uh, touched on those collaborations that we were able to do, we partnered with Vice to release some, some of our content. We created some supplemental content for them. Uh, and shot a video down in, in Sao Paulo with them. So that, that, you know, that was incredible for us being so, so new to the scene. But then also do, we did a deal with um, Barnes & Noble. So we were in almost every Barnes & Noble in the country, which was also massive for us to put, put out this product and, and really be able to reach you know, a large amount of people. Um, and, and so it, you know, the World Cup, it was, it was great. We produced, I think, about 30, uh, 30 pieces of supplemental content on our blog. Um, our, our senior editor, Miles Corman, really took that uh, under his wing and did a great job. That drove a significant amount of traffic to our website, which, which really drastically increased our, our subscriber base. Um, so it, it was an intense time for us, doing a lot of new things. Um, but I think we got through it really well, and, and I think it really increased our, our sort of brand awareness and, and brought in a lot of new readers. Robert and Grace, did you uh, have a chance to go to Brazil? Oh, no, unfortunately not. We're, we're, I, I felt that we were a little too fledgling to, um, you know, do that just yet. But, um, you know, we've got the ambitions to do that for, you know, the Euros and the uh, following World Cups and, and maybe even the Women's World Cup coming up next year. So, yeah, we're, we're, um, we're full of ambition in that regard, but not, not this time. We're super excited for Qatar. 
So um, we, you know, the the advent of social media, and honestly, I I personally hate the two words social media. I mean, at, at least now in today's internet, because the internet is just social. Like social media is the internet. Period. You know, but we've we've started to see a lot more Americans, especially. Um, obviously the cities, but maybe even in, in some like Midwestern areas and the South and places like that become a little more globalized, so to speak, in regards to culture. And we've seen things like craft breweries and sort of like this coffee and foodie culture filling our cities. In this year's World Cup, it almost seemed as if the U.S. was much more engaged in the happenings of all the games. So for example, we saw a lot more coverage on sports center, local news channels, uh, were covering a lot more in comparison to the past. And then we have like NBC landed the $250 million contract to broadcast the premier league. How much has this expanding access to, um, other cultures played a role in the growth of soccer in the U S like we've been we've we've been heading that way, and um, you know I, I think we Grace and I and Cope have got some fairly good instincts about this, and I, I think it was just that's how it happened. We were we were just sensing that there's there's an appetite out there, and uh, I feel like we, we we were fortunate because you know the World Cup was coming up, and and as you say that it was it was quite remarkable, especially in New York City. You know, in the middle of New York City to see bars just spilling over uh, on the street with, with people watching the games, and not just the U.S. games, um, or, or all the games. It, it just made us feel very excited about, you know, the, the possibilities going forward here. You know, we're, we're, we're ambitious, but, that, you know, I feel like there's a, there's a few issues with the other sports in this country. I mean, you know, not to sort of get down on them or anything, but I, I think soccer's got a really good chance of taking off, you know, once and for all now. I feel like the, 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 the crowds in, in the especially in the Pacific Northwest are just insanely good. And I feel like, you know, it's it's coming. It's definitely coming. Right. Um, so yesterday we kind of touched on a little bit earlier, the MLS unveiled a new identity for their upcoming 20th anniversary, which will take place in 2015. Uh, and I'll put a link in the show notes for the listeners, but it adopts a crest look similar to a lot of traditional European clubs and moves away from literal graphic elements, uh, such as, uh, soccer balls or, or the boots. Um, what are your thoughts on the redesign? Uh, grace, have you seen it? And specifically, what are each of your thoughts on the flexibility of it in regards to its application to specific teams? I think it's pretty clever, actually. Um, I like the idea that it is flexible. And I, I, I do like the crest because it's immediately, you know, recognizable in the sense of what, what kind of sport it is. Um, you know. <laughs> You're talking to two designers, so you know, we'll, have, we'll, have, we'll have our moments with it. But actually, we feel we feel pretty good about it. Actually, you um, so you like you like the move towards a, a crest look. Uh, you know, I, I was brought up with crest looks <laughs> in England, so uh, I, I feel quite at home with it. I, yeah. I, I feel like it's an acknowledgement of you know the sport in a way, and 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 sort of. It, it's it's putting the MLS on the same platform as all the big leagues in 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 the world, and I feel like that's that's kind of important. Um, it's getting that way, you know, with with some very very big players coming here now. I feel like it's time to sort of really step up and you know be counted with the big guys. So it's it I, I like the idea. I like it. I like what it stands for. 
Right. I think strategically, it was definitely a good move to go in that direction to sort of tie themselves in a little bit more to that culture. And who knows? I mean, obviously, we're seeing a lot more players coming over this way to play. Something about the Stars, you know, reminds me of the Southern Cross, which I don't know. That That's just the whole... Is it the Brazilian flag? It's a little, sort of like a little bit of tie into that. Oh, I see. Yeah, mm, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's conscious anyway. No, I, yeah. I think the star stands for for the three pillars of MLS, and I don't know them off the top of my head, but it, it has something: community, country, and and one other thing. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. we were club, at the uh, we were at the country. MLS launch event last night, and speaking to uh, Tebow, who's the creative director at, at Major League Soccer, and something that came up was. Um, there was a thread on Reddit that came up very quickly after the logo was released, uh, and it was fans from all the different MLS teams sort of putting putting out their version, their team's version uh, of the crest with their team's colors. And, and the conversation we had was that that's it, that's a win for them, you know, for for fans of these other teams to sort of take over the crest and make it their own. That's something that the league really, you know, that's what they put it out there for. That was a lot of the strategy behind it. There's obviously going to be criticisms. Uh, you know, it seems like anything the MLS does gets criticized, but, you know, it, it was fascinating to hear them say, you know, that's what we wanted. That's what we wanted to see. And to see that start happening like minutes after we put the logo yeah. out was, was incredible for them. Yeah, that's interesting. The fans kind of took ownership of it. I'm wondering if, um, there's, you know, they're going to start sort of integrating, not that this might be the best design move ever, but in sort of like the blank space, like actually like a zoomed in cropped, you know, uh, logo of the actual specific team, whatever the team identity is. That might be something that fans might adopt in the future, unless that's what you're talking about. I didn't see that thread. Um, no, well, yeah, I mean, teams were, I mean, people were putting all sorts of stuff in that blank space. I think, uh, one, one of the, <laughs> I, I can only imagine on Reddit. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. One, one of the interesting things, and this was brought up by, uh, Howard Handler, who's the, the VP of marketing. He brought this up in the press conference. Uh, and we also discussed it with a couple of people last night with the idea that that space could potentially be used for some form of advertising with, with some of their content partners, uh, it, it was not expressly said, but it was certainly hinted at multiple times. And that's, you know, I think that's something very interesting. And I hope that uh, that's approached with caution because uh, you would certainly see some backlash from fans, I, I would imagine. Yeah, um, yeah. Very interesting to see what happens with, with that space. There's a lot of, uh, lot of options there. Yeah, I think so. And, and speaking of advertising, um, you know, traditionally magazine revenue models come from advertising. And internet culture tends to have this negative view of advertising um, specifically as it regards to publishing and thing and you know apps or or things like that for example uh, I'm I'm unsure this 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 podcast is a fun side project for me but obviously like anything that we do as a side project I think they're you know in the back of our heads we're like how can we actually strike up revenue from it I'm not sure if I'm actually going to accept sponsors as part of the revenue model for the show simply because I want the show to be as objective as possible uh, in regards to the content. And I, and I think that advertising in regards to po- podcasts sort of may cause me to have a subconscious effort to uh, please advertisers. That being said, I'm looking at your issue. Uh, let's see. This is issue two right here. Uh, there's no ads in this magazine. So how, how, what's the, what's the goal on, on like revenue for this thing? Uh, do you have, are you planning on accepting advertising in the future? 
Um, well, yeah, we, we certainly accept advertising. On, on the back of issue two, uh, we were very fortunate to work with Heineken um, for that issue, and so that, that helped out a lot for us. Um, you know, I think I'll throw it to Robert and Grace a little bit on, on their thoughts on advertising and, like you said, not wanting to compromise sort of the content. I'll, I'll let Grace jump in there. Oh, well, the traditional magazine model, which is, you know, advertising-based and really not on sales, that's why magazines are like a dollar or two dollars or three dollars you can buy it. If you look at the price of our magazine, it's a little bit more expensive. Mm-hmm. $15.99 per issue, for a single issue. And I feel like a lot of the independent magazines nowadays, um, the ones that are smaller and, you know, entrepreneurial, are taking the same model where it's a more expensive, um, highly produced, you know, um, content kind of a magazine. And hopefully, if you get enough subscribers, will self, be self-sustainable. Um, what's interesting, I think, is that when uh, Newsweek came back, and if you look at their cover prices, it's actually, I think it's, it's pretty expensive. It's like $7.95 or $8 an issue for a weekly, which is unheard of. But it's not for everyone. It's, it's for people who want it. But I think they're going to actually break even probably within a year because of that model. Well, that's, that's interesting that you say that. I mean, these, these sort of um, niche or, or, or boutique and entrepreneurial publications, these are the ones that it, it seems like are thriving right now as opposed to the th- we, I'm not going to throw this away right like this thing I'm holding it in my hands it's gorgeous it's great paper it, the it's a it's art I mean the illustrations are great so kudos to you guys on that but that's uh, I definitely agree with that so we live in a world today where anybody can start anything you know kind of piggybacking off of this entrepreneurial entrepreneurial thing anybody can start anything at any time as long as they have a great idea uh, content that people want and the internet. Um, is there anything that you guys could offer to people out there that are maybe burnt out on client work and have a passion for sport and are looking to maybe extend some of their talents in these entrepreneurial endeavors, such as starting a magazine or, and, and do you believe that there's a, a pretty, I know that you guys are specifically focused on soccer, but this being a sports podcast is, do you believe that there's a need in sort of like this vertical of sport for these types of independent products it could be um you know we're the only caution i would say um first of all go with your passion of course if, if there's something that you really feel great about i was talking to somebody yesterday about the idea of starting a hockey magazine he loves hockey and you know uh, oh, and Cooper's now saying, you know, he he he's I've been talking about that for a while. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, so yeah, why not? There's a, when there's a, a there's a gap out there for you know a potential number of readers who would be very passionate about hockey. Sure, um, you know, the only concern really is, you know, the the cost of doing so is is you know substantial, and you have to be a little bit careful. And we just decided that, you know, this is something that we believe in and we believe will work in the long run. And, um, you know, we, we work extremely hard to make um, what you have to buy for $15, $16, um, as much value as we can possibly give a reader, um, you know, just to make sure that it, it just feels worth the money. So I've worked. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I, I was just going to say it's it's ten times harder than you think. <laughs> oh, I bet, I bet. I actually, <laughs> I, actually, I I can't even imagine. I mean, I I uh, I'm a freelancer full time. That's my my main gig, and I design a 
magazine for the asphalt industry that comes out uh, three times a year. And the amount of work <laughs> that goes into that, I, I, I much respect to you guys, honestly. That's, <laughs> and, and, <laughs> I guess there's maybe a bit of insanity, right? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it gets pretty close, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so personally, I worked in sports out of school, graduated, and then with a BFA in graphic design, and worked for a sports marketing company, which now is called IMG College. So, IMG up in New York. Um, but and and I've I've always been passionate about the creative side of sport. Um, but because of this, I find personally sometimes that working in it and doing and producing so much work in it during the day. And Cooper, you could probably answer this from the marketing side, since you have a career in working in, you know, at Adidas and the Portland Timbers, does it ever uh, consume you to the point where you don't actually get much joy anymore, but actually sitting down and watching it as a fan at night? I haven't, I haven't hit that point. Yet. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I, I, I certainly see what you're saying. Uh, and, and, you do. I think there are times you need to sort of pull away from it a little bit, but you know, I think all of us we're still working on grace, as we mentioned. But we all we all love the sport and, and continue to watch it nonstop. And, and we live in a time now where you know I think specifically in this country, it's probably the easiest. You have the most access to uh, watch soccer games from leagues all around the world. So you, you know, it's literally nonstop. Um, I think I support a certain amount of clubs and and you just follow those clubs and then watch the great games and and enjoy the sport for what it is, which is, uh, you know, really a beautiful thing. Yeah, we're, we're, I'm not jaded at all. In fact, you know, I was just watching games this weekend and you're, I'm staggered about how good these players are becoming. I mean, I, I think there's leaps and bounds being made about the, uh, with the talent of the, the players on the field now. I mean, some people are just spectacular. And it's very exciting to watch. And the games are very competitive for the most part. So I, I, I just can't wait for the games tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> very cool. So what's, uh, what's each of your second sport? If, if you didn't have soccer, what would it be? Oh, that's cruel. Um, okay. <laughs> Cooper, you're a hockey, right? Uh, I'm, I'm a hockey guy, but uh, you know, cycling as well, which is maybe a little less traditional. I'm, I guess I'm more on the less traditional side of sports. Yeah, I would say I'm, I mean, it's a, it's a what you want to watch or what you actually do. That's, that's, uh, you spun that in an interesting direction. I was thinking more <laughs> like what your favorite sport would be to watch. What do you watch, Grace, besides soccer? Uh, the only other sport I watch is probably tennis. Tennis. Okay. Yeah. I can relate to that as well. Grace is a, a, a surfer and a snowboarder so that's okay. what wanted you to ask her <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and for me um you know uh, i i i well she's a little bit of rugby um a little bit of tennis but uh mostly consumed by soccer awesome favorite boot oh favorite boot <laughs> yeah wow okay cool you, it, it, this is like rife with politics. What yeah, are you going to say? I'm I'm Copas. I, I still go with the the sort of old school. That's what I wore when I was growing up. The old school for sure. No, I, I, yeah. Um, the new stuff is a little too crazy for for me. It, it's pretty out there. I'll, I'll say this: we were we were sent uh, a couple pairs of boots by the main companies and, and to try them out. And I wear them during men's league games, men's leagues, men's league games. And, and 
they're great. They're very technically advanced and highly designed and very colorful. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would probably go back to, to the old pair of Adidas Predators that I wore when, you know, for six years when I was very young. Robert, you're going to avoid that one. <laughs> uh, uh, well, I, I will say that I just bought a pair of Adidas um, uh, Sambas, uh, but for that was for street walking rather than, rather than playing soccer. <laughs> yeah. 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 But my, 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 my kids, um, uh, you know, wear, wear the main brands, as it were. Um, right, right. And they're... they're they're not picky. It's just you know the design. Actually, they they've got that from their father. The design of the shoes all important, and uh, uh, they'll choose the one that they like uh, from design terms. I guess everybody does, but right. I think overall it's interesting in sport and especially in soccer. Um, and I'm seeing this really all across the board in basketball and and lacrosse even where everything has. Yeah, everything used to be very simple, right? If we think about, you know, the Sambas. And now it's sort of like, I don't know, for lack of a better word, like super swag-tastic. <laughs> Just like crazy, <laughs> crazy patterns. And it's all about sort of like making a statement with what you're wearing out there, which I think is interesting. And that's sort of where the whole intersection of, of culture and sport crosses over. Um, wh- uh, where can our listeners find out uh, more about each of you guys and, and maybe get in touch if they want to? Yeah, so you can certainly contact us uh, via social media. We're on Twitter at at 8x8mag with the number 8, B-Y-8-MAG. Um, you can find us online, 8x8mag.com. Uh, there's a contact page if, if you ever want to reach out. We're, we're certainly here to, to talk. And um, Yeah, those are, those are the main ways. The, there are links to our emails uh, on our website as well. And Grace, you guys have uh, your design firm, Priest grace.com priest and grace and, right? priest and grace yeah okay. spelling out the a and d com yeah okay very cool well listen i appreciate you guys taking the time to come on here we sort of zip through here but i think that there's a lot of super awesome answers that you guys have i i'm glad to have you on uh, it's very nice of you to be asking us and um look forward to hearing it yeah Bye. yeah awesome um, on our next episode, Christopher Bazin is going to be joining the show. Chris is the founder of a recently launched uh, custom typeface foundry uh, by the title Sports Font Foundry, which is focused on the sports aesthetic. Currently, his, his, uh, his full-time job is he's a designer at a sports apparel company called J America. Chris has been in the sports community for much of his career and has worked at companies such as Adidas, Reebok, Old Hat Creative, uh, on some of the big sport, biggest sports brands of the day. For more on him, you can check out his website, chrisbazin.com. Also, just a super quick announcement. Some of you may uncaught, have caught on Twitter that I announced a new mini show, or as I, I'm liking to call the show between the shows, which will be on the off weeks of interviews. Interviews are every other week, and uh, this show will be 20-minute broadcast, solo broadcast um, of me, which I'm calling Halftime. Uh, that's an obvious reference to the 20 minute halftime of many sports. Uh, it would be a monologue discussing specifics of professionalism, business, freelancing, and entrepreneurship in the sports vertical. Big thanks again to Robert Priest, Grace Lee, and Cooper Lemon for taking the time to join me today on Makers of Sport. Again, you can follow their magazine on Twitter at 8x8mag, uh, and that's also their Instagram handle. And then as Cooper mentioned, the website is 8x8magazine.com. That is the number 8, 
by8magazine.com. Be sure to follow myself on Twitter at T. Adam Martin, as well as the show Makers of Sport. And it, please, please take the time to rate, like, and write a review of the show on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whichever application you're listening in. You can leave a comment on the website, makersofsport.com as well. Until next time, have a good week. <laughs>